I played the first sort of I play often I often play like the first few minutes to Joe mm. um, of the podcast. And then at the start of last week's she was like, I don't understand why you're laughing at this point, so you might want to just cut that out. <laughs> your your laughing last week was particularly enthusiastic. It was uh and, yeah, at I times got, at, at times bordering I, on manic. Man, yeah, I might have got the levels a bit wrong or something. No, I mean it's it was, <laughs> oh, it, it's it okay? good because it makes it makes it makes it sound like I'm a I'm fucking hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's good to know where the well. jokes are. Like <laughs> yeah, where yeah, insert laugh here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh god hello everybody and welcome to football unfocused the superb uh top level world beating uh, sony award winning uh in, insert asterisks here uh football <laughs> podcast uh hosted and run by uh you know managed by myself my name is mark and this other guy here that you can hear whose name is Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Hello, hello, Mark. How's it going? How are you, Matthew? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I, I did, um, you did tell me to try to watch some of the highlights, um, mm. of the Champions League football before we started, and um, I must say, I didn't actually get around to it. Although That's I a know, surprise, Matthew. <laughs> so yeah, that I did it. That probably won't be an issue, but no. uh, it would it would just be nice sometimes if the person with whom I co-host a football <laughs> podcast had, had an interest in 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 football. I mean, maybe we'd get more twi- Twitter followers. Uh, uh, I mean, we've got three. If you if you swatted yeah. up on football, maybe we'd have six. <laughs> uh, and you see the way I crowbarred that in. By the way, uh, Twitter do follow us at f unfocused. At F Unfocused, please follow us. We have nothing, we have no more of interest to say on Twitter than we do on this shit. But still, just follow <laughs> us anyway. What harm can it do? Just press a button, F Unfocused. F U Unfocused, if yeah. you prefer. Yeah. Yeah. So, Matthew, <laughs> yeah. last week we found out some really revealing information about your, uh, your kind of attire, your bed attire. Um, the setup with your uh, dressing gown. You say you don't own a dressing gown. If you owned one, if you were to receive one as a present, would you wear it? Uh, I'd struggle to find the need for it. Um, just because I find them a bit drafty. Mm, drafty. <laughs> In the uh, gentleman's agreement <laughs> area. <laughs> Is that what we're talking about? You're, you're quite partial to a dressing gown. I love a dressing gown, Matthew. Do you not find the drafty? Well, in a gentleman's agreement. But I'm not, <laughs> I, don't, I don't tend to be naked underneath. You know, I'll be, I sleep in a oh, pair of shorts right. and I'll still be wearing them. You know, are you, yeah. are you, are you, see, that's interesting. <laughs> that means that's that your not... assumption, your assumption was that a dressing gown is something you wear, you know, in the style of a, a, a Scotsman with his kilt. <laughs> uh, knackers out, shall we say. Um, so that's that's interesting. So does that suggest Matthew would be oh, then be you right can... to assume that you sleep in the nude? <laughs> yeah. Are you a naked sleeper, uh, Matthew? I, I... <laughs> yes, I am. You are I like... excellent. 
I don't need to see why that's embarrassing, Matthew. It's just a body. There's nothing embarrassing no, about no, a body. No, true. Well, my dad used to sleep in the bath, and I thought, oh, that looks interesting. I'll give that a go. Not, not yeah. with, not with my dad. But like, I was about to jump in. It's very, very interesting. So, how did you discover that your dad was sleeping naked? Was it because well, you were sleeping it... next to him? <laughs> yeah, because it... so was it when he rolled over. Yeah, yeah. When, he, when he rolled. Over. <laughs> Yeah. This is not what I signed up for, Dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I want that father-son bond, but come on. Come on. This, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. Okay. I'm going to draw a line under that because it's it's actually making me feel a bit sick. Uh, second question, Matthew. Do you like scented candles? Oh, no, but I know you do. Goodness I do. Me, you spend a fortune on them. You almost burn the house down or your house down with them. I mean, that's not true. I, I like scented candles. I think that they make places smell pleasant. Not always, though. There are some rough ones out there. It's, it's another thing. It's worth buying. It's worth forking out for the good stuff, you know? Okay, good. So you are a man who sleeps naked and enjoyed sleeping naked next to your father in the past, and uh, you don't like scented candles. I think I would suggest a scented candle would have been a, uh, a, a you know a real benefit to the room in which you and your dad were uh, sleeping naked. I think that might, <laughs> might have covered a, covered a multitude of sins. Um, <laughs> final question, final question, Matthew. What's your favourite physical feature or characteristic about yourself? Oh come on, come on, come on! No room for modesty here, Matthew. I think any anything that I thought you know, that I might have had going on, you know, as as long since, you know, changed over time or just become hairy. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay, so let's kick off this, uh, the football bit of this football podcast by, talk, <laughs> by, by, by talking about your feelings. You must have some pretty strong feelings. We're recording this on a Thursday evening, um, yeah. quite late, much later than normal. The reason for that being that I returned... Uh, quite late today from a, I was going to say a two-day bender, but I think that would that would that would be over-egging the amount I've had to drink today. But yesterday was certainly a bender. Uh, uh, watching uh, the return of Champions League football to the mecca that is Anfield and the great uh, opening group match against AC Milan. Um, and so we're recording it this evening, but but that has had the benefit of coinciding with the opening group games in the um, much talked about and highly prestigious uh, Europa Conference League. Hmm. Um, so, Matthew, how proud are you that Tottenham are trailblazers of this uh, this new landmark competition? I'm very proud, very proud. Um, yeah, you must be. To, I yeah. think they've got off to a really good start against um, Rene's. I think it's pronounced or, <laughs> or Reeds. Wow, wow. So, for the purposes of the tape, Matthew, I don't. He didn't when we first logged on. Didn't even know Tottenham were playing, and and then what he's done is he hasn't he hasn't seen the game. He doesn't know anything about the game, but but the game has just finished two all. And he what he's done is to make it appear that he knew something about the game. He has read on a on an app the final score and not even bothered to, to kind of understand how to pronounce the team that Spurs were playing. So a two-all draw with Ren, the, uh, oh, the, uh, the Red A was a character in A Low, A Low, the camp 1980s, uh, 1980s sitcom. Very good, Matthew. 
That's a typically uh, uh, ludicrous and and inept answer to that question. Um, But it does. Go on. I don't want to know because anything else I ask you, you're just going to basically read something that you've just seen on an app uh, (laughs) five five minutes ago, and it will just be you know completely futile. I do. I have one. I do have one point. When you, when you, please. Oh, please. you want it? Okay, you want We're all, to, oh, I want it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get out of the way. <laughs> um, it was so last week. You you made comments about the the attendance of uh, Man City um, at the Etihad Stadium, and I thought it was a slightly, uh, you know, I would say your impartiality is possibly not one of your strongest features, and <laughs> I thought you might have just been a bit sneery towards Man City but then I read in I read an article today where Pep Guardioli actually commented Guardiola the, Guardiola you've done, you've done it again Guardioli brilliant yeah and yeah. Uh, yeah he actually commented on on the attendance and and sort of said you know who he would want more people in the stadium uh and I just thought well he's obviously listening to this podcast and then you know, heard what you had to say, and they thought, "Yeah, that's bloody right." <laughs> well, there's not enough people in the ground, so Pep Guardiola must have been. Matt, stop! Him. Learn how to say Pep Guardiola. Oh, sorry, Guardiola. Oh, fucking hell! <laughs> I'm just making a fool of myself. I know. Oh, again, yeah. We, <laughs> after a technical break, we return. You have an opportunity to pronounce uh, probably the most famous manager in world football's name correctly and you've you've fallen yeah. at the first hurdle again well if he if he did ever listen to this pop, podcast and oh he's a listener then, he uh, follows us on twitter as well he's under a he's gonna... <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. no depp depp guardioli <laughs> yeah this is uh it's a it's really discreet yeah so yeah that was my point what your point is, what I, I, I take great offence to that because I actually think impartiality is something I am very... I, I think if you you speak to so many one-eyed football fans who are, A, in completely incapable of seeing any fault in their own <laughs> club uh, and just think that it's a case of, like, everyone else is shit and, you know, weird and, and you can just... There's a lot of clubs out there that I, I really like. I mean, there's, there, is, there is one club in particular that I strongly dislike and I probably struggle a little bit to be impartial as far as they're concerned but everyone else and actually on the subjects of Man City I've got a bit, I've got quite a lot of affection for them I think over the last few years um, because they have been uh, Liverpool and Man City have been the two clubs kind of um, fighting it out for the league titles and setting uh, sort of hitherto um, unimaginable levels of, of consistency and quality to get you know requiring you to get to around 100 points to win the Premier League, you'd think that that would create animosity. But as far as I'm concerned, I think majority of Liverpool fans, uh, again, with the caveat outside of twats on Twitter, um, but they don't really count. I think the majority of Liverpool fans would say, if you're going to lose, if you're not going to win the league and you're going to you know, surrender to someone, you'd, ra- you'd certainly rather it was them than certain other clubs that might may or may not play in the same city as them. So, no. So my criticism of their, it is actually quite interesting. They, they have this weird thing um, where the, as, a, as a club where they, ha- they have quite a complicated um, relationship with the Champions League. 
from the very beginning. So you know how like um, that I think a lot of people when they're from the outside looking in would have the assumption that if a club that was um, up to that point uh, a moderate achiever and kind of, you know, a, a kind of mid-table or even struggling down the other end of the table, that if they get then the opportunity to play Champions League football, that would be the dream and there'd be an unprecedented demand for tickets and it would be like the high point of everyone's football support in life. And that has never really been uh, the case for Man City. It's really um, quite unusual, but also, but also quite interesting. I've got a certain amount of respect for it. I think a long time was sort of um, probably around 10 years ago when they first started sort of troubling the elite teams and getting uh, regular Champions League football. There was an issue with um, Yaya Toure. I, my understanding, and I'd, I'd have to fact check this precisely, but I think he was racially abused in a game, uh, probably an away game um, in one of the European competitions. And that the the punishment dished out to the the sort of offending club because clubs are responsible for the behaviour they support was pathetic, um, as as is always the case with these UEFA racism cases, and or even FIFA racism cases. And then on the flip side of that, UEFA have consistently made it their uh, their business to pursue Man City and trying to. Uh, throw sort of punitive measures at them for financial fair, uh, breaking financial fair play rules and essentially stop them from, as I said the other week, you know, financial fair play looked when it was first introduced as something that would make increased competition. But actually it was, it was introduced to protect the elite, the biggest clubs with the biggest revenue and to stop big, uh, you know, um, ridiculously wealthy investors coming in, and immediately be able to sort of catapult their clubs into that uh, prestigious company. So as a result of that, I think City fans have always had a take-it-or-leave-it attitude towards the Champions League. And even when they got to the final last year, admittedly, it's difficult to properly judge because it was played in front of a, a stadium that had a, a, about, what, 15% capacity or something like that because of COVID out, out in Portugal. Um, but you never really got the sense that having got to the final for the first time and um, and then lost quite unexpectedly to Chelsea, that it was the devastating blow that maybe it would be to other clubs. Now, a lot of people like to throw the the the, the fact that City haven't won the Champions League in the last 10 years where they've essentially, you know, on and off dominated English football. They've certainly been over a 10 year period now the club that has won more league titles than anyone else and have been consistently the best side. Um, and I think, you know, people like to undermine the achievement of, of Pep Guardiola or Guardioli, as you call him, <laughs> by, by, you know, chucking the, hitting him with the Champions League stick and saying, well, he's never won that. And that that's the real mark. That's what the owners of the club really want. That's what, you know, they've shown they can dominate domestically. It's the Champions League they want. And, um, and I think they get a bit bit fed up with that. And I think City fans, you've got to remember, if you're, it, it would be, I guess, not that dissimilar to if Everton all of a sudden became really dominant. Um, that it, I think their, their priority and their uh, absolute uh, kind of uh, emotional energy would all be spent on you know, winning the Premier League. If, if you've been the kind of, you know, the little brother in a city where the other, the other kind of big brother's been 
cleaning up all the pots and the pans for for years and rubbing it in your face and then you get an opportunity to uh to win and to dominate and to actually then you know set a a kind of generation defining and 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 like gear change then i think it takes a long time for for that novelty to wear off and i think city are still very much that they had the whole of the 1990s and the you know and the, the first decade of this century i never know what to call that i'm not going to call it the noughties because uh, well i was about to say because i'm not a wanker i am a wanker but <laughs> not not the sort of wanker who says noughties um <laughs> And you know, so they, and during that time, a lot during a lot of that time, City were um, you know in in disarray themselves. They went down to the third tier at one stage. So I think that, so. I think it's, it's there's a number of reasons for it, but essentially, I think winning the Premier League is still the 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 number one priority for them and for the fans. And I just don't think they they they. I think clearly it would be ridiculous to suggest they wouldn't be delighted to win the Champions League just to get that that monkey off their back uh, as much as anything else. But but um, but it isn't the obsession that I think people like to project onto them from the outside. And as a result, they do they do frequently have um, a significant amount of empty seats, particularly for the group games. Um, and if there's, say, the less glamorous names, I mean, they played RB Leipzig last night. That's a big game. They're, they've over the last, I know they're a, they're a kind of new uh, new money uh, European, you know, they're not a historic, prestigious um, uh, club in Europe, but they have been the, the second or third best team in Germany over the last seven or eight years. So that and, and Germany is one of the elite leagues. So that's that's a big draw. And then, yeah, so to not fill the ground for that. Now I've only seen brief highlights. I'm going to watch them properly uh, later. But but it is no surprise to me. It is no surprise to me, and it shouldn't. I don't think it should necessarily be a criticism. I mean, one of the things actually I wanted to talk about well, this week is the um, the struggles at the beginning. You, you can't make I, – I, I never want to be one of these people who makes uh, big sweeping statements based on the first three or four games of a season because you should never do that. You know, up until last weekend, Tottenham were top of the league. And, I mean, with, with the greatest respect, Matt, did you at any stage think that they were um, they were going to win it? <laughs> I mean, I know they've only lost one game now. They lost to Palace, but you know, did you think, oh, we're top? I thought, thought if we just kept winning, we would end up. Winning yeah, the league. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just basic maths. But equally, Arsenal, who were bottom up till last weekend and then didn't have a point or, or hadn't even scored a goal, uh, no one with half a brain seriously expects them to be relegated or indeed be in a relegation uh, scrap. And their fans. There was actually a quite an amusing thing where their fans were kind of sarcastically, uh, tongue in cheek, singing "We Are Staying Up" after they uh, scored <laughs> against uh, Norwich. And uh, and um, uh, one of their players, Nicholas Pepe, then tweeted, "We are staying up um, <laughs> after the game," but in a non-ironic way. I think he he genuinely was like, <laughs> he was like, "Oh, our fans are seriously relieved there," <laughs> like you yeah. know. Uh, and and thought he'd show that he was part of the uh, we are staying up <laughs> movement. So it's hilarious when footballers don't quite they're they're slightly out of step with their own fans and don't really get the uh, the, 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 the the sort of in joke. Um, but um, but but having said all that about not jumping to conclusions early on in the season, there is definitely a situation now. Um, what four, four or five months after the failed, catastrophic, and shameful. European Super League uh, project um, uh, had a crash landing 
where some of those key culprits, from the one, and we're talking about the ones from the, you know, the the, the European mainland, uh, not from the Premier League, which to, a, to quite a large extent, for various reasons, is kind of insulated from the the financial woes. But I think it's becoming clear that some of the stuff, some of the kind of financial concerns that these mega clubs had. That um, that they were kind of using as a as an excuse and a rationale to to set up the Super League in the first place was was genuine. Real Madrid, I just don't buy. Right, as I said the other week, it, all of a sudden they found about 140 million quid to bid for Kylian Mbappe when they can get him for free next summer. And then even though their their cowboy um, morally bankrupt chairman had said uh, uh, a couple of days before that you know they were essentially going to struggle to pay the bills the electricity was going to get turned off um but barcelona played a game you talk about empty stadiums barcelona who are who are a club that um i certainly say since the turn of uh the the century have been if you had to pick one club in in european football that has consistently been the best it's it's barcelona because i'm i'm a firm believer that the barcelona team between the years of sort of 2007 to around 2012 is the best club football team of all time. I've never seen a team play such incredible, dominant, um, beautiful, sort of perfect football that was um, uh, just in every single way, you know, in in terms of technique, in terms of speed of movement, speed of thought. To me, that, that Guardiola's Barcelona took football to a, whole new level and the idea that within less than a uh, a decade of that that kind of that era defining team starting to break up a little bit uh, and only only six years in fact since they last won the the champions league in 2015 and they still had neymar at that, that stage that the idea that they would be playing a their first uh game in the champions league uh of the new season uh, and their first game in the champions league in front of uh, a crowd for uh, a year and a half. So you've got uh, one of the biggest clubs in the world with the biggest uh, um, capacity in European club football. And there's less than, I'd say there was, by the looks of it on the telly, and bear in mind that, that these these clubs are not stupid. They're quite clever in the way they strategically place the fans so that on, t- on the cameras, you can see, you know, they, they try and hide the, 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 um, the tiers of empty seats. Uh, but I would, I reckon there was less than 40% capacity in there. Now, this is Barcelona. And they're in an absolute state. They, I, I never thought I'd see the day where you look at a, a starting 11 for Barcelona and you think, wow, I'm not sure many of them would get in um, the starting 11 of the, the top four or five Premier League teams. I mean, that's remarkable. This is Barcelona. And when, you know, and then you think about the summer. And the players that they lost and then the players that they failed to get, you know, having having lost, in my opinion, the greatest footballer ever to walk the earth uh, and kind of didn't had to let him go, essentially, because they can't afford to pay him, even though he was prepared to take a 50% pay cut. You know, they still couldn't afford to pay him and they'd have had to break all sorts of regulations in order to do so. They still they also then let uh, Griezmann go. And I think a lot of people would have assumed after Messi left that Griezmann would have then have the opportunity to flourish because he'd been quite stifled since he'd been at Barcelona. That's not happened. He's gone back on loan back to his old club, Atletico Madrid. And the quality of player that they're now being able to get in 
to replace some of these greats. They're not they're not players that should be should be wearing a Barcelona shirt. It is absolutely remarkable. And they lost 3-0 at home to Bayern Munich. Now, admittedly, Bayern Munich are an elite side and very very well could end up you know, winning the Champions League this season. They won it um, year before last. And they're, they're an amazing football team and fair play. But, you know, it was such a meek uh, performance from Barcelona. And more concerningly, really, from their perspective than anything else, was the reaction of the fans. Not just the fact that there was only probably about 40% of them who turned up, but that they, they knew it was coming and they totally accepted it. So they weren't even, you know, it's great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating hostility towards, I think it's a job of a football fan is to get behind their team. And I, you know, there's nothing to a few things that make me disrespect the fan base more than uh, immediately turning on them and booing, like, you know, naming no names, but Arsenal are way up the list of the worst for that, you know, like nil, nil, they, they, uh, uh, their, their first home game of the season against the newly crowned European champions. They were I think, one nil down at half time. Was it two nil down? But they, you know, they'd done nothing wrong. They were just up against a much a superior team and really ferocious boos to take them off the pitch. You just think that's pathetic. Like, come on, you know, this isn't a meal where you're disappointed with your starter <laughs> and you're going to ask for your money back. You know, you get behind your team. What good are you? You know, what, you do something positive. But, but Barcelona. So, yes, yeah, so I'm not advocating abusing the, the players, but they, they were really just so uh, accepting uh, of their fate that they didn't really react. The goals were going in and they were just, yeah, you know. And then, <laughs> and then Ronald Koeman, the manager, started bringing on uh, sort of academy players to give them um, like towards the end of the game. And they were really getting excited about that. They were, there was like rapturous applause, they're all on their feet and chanting and singing. And you kind of think... Because I, some some people interpreted Kuman's substitutions there as him making a point to the directors of Barcelona, saying, "Look, I've literally got we're playing Barcelona, and this is the weaponry that I've got, kids, you know, to come on and try and um, uh, stifle Robert Lewandowski and uh, Thomas Muller and Goretzka and Gnabry and Sane and all these legends of the of the game." Um, but I guess you know maybe Barcelona are kind of. In a, in a kind of stripped back form, re-engaging with their fans and, get, you know, maybe this will be a chance for them to bring in a whole new generation of kids through the, the academy, you know. But it is the thing that the thing that concern, the reason it's a concern and Barcelona are the most are the most kind of prominent example of this at the moment. But but Juve, have, I think, only got one point from their first three games. They won in the Champions League during the week, but they've only got one point for the first three games in Serie A and are in the Bottom three, I know that tables don't have a huge amount of value at this stage, but, you know, they obviously uh, had to let Ronaldo go, whether, whether that was for financial financial necessity or not, not really certain. But again, they don't seem to be able to, to compete for the elite players that they would have, would have done in the past. And I watched AC Milan last night, who are the second most successful um, club in, 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 in the history of the European Cup slash Champions League. And, you know, an absolute a, a club that throughout my life, certainly all the way through my childhood and up, up to and including my, my 20s, um, would have been almost like a, a one to 11 dream team of just greats. And you'd every one of their players would be a household name. And even though I try and follow football closely and, you know, make sure I'm aware of what's going on in all the European leagues and I watch uh, whenever I get the opportunity, and I watch an Italian game on on um, on BT Sport. But I knew half that Milan team last night, and 
and I would suggest that the, the, the majority of the casual observers probably didn't know any of them. Um, the, only, the only one they might might know as a result of um, the, the Euros was um, um, the, the Denmark captain share because he's, he was one of the key, um, uh, he, was, he was the main guy, I guess, who was responsible for effectively saving Christian Eriksen's life and, uh, and shooing away the TV, the invasive TV cameras and going over and um, comforting Eriksen's um, uh, wife. But, you know, but that's not, you know, in the old days, they, were, they would have had like Hullet, Van Basten, Rijkaard, Maldini, uh, Rivaldo, uh, Ronaldinho, Kaka, Inzaghi, you know, that these are... Um, sort of once in a, like the the top players in each position of that like Rui Costa you know um in each of their in each of their positions and and now they're they're an absolute shadow and they, don't get me wrong they put up a decent fight last night but I, I don't want to live in a world where you go to watch Liverpool against AC Milan and you're almost you know when AC Milan ended up very undeservedly, as it turned out, really going two one up at half time because you know they had been battered for the majority of the first half, and then they just they just there was a couple of sort of sucker punch goals, but then there was an inevitability that then Liverpool sort of turned it around and won. And I remember when when the, the two thousand and five Champions League final was played, and and indeed the two thousand and seven Champions League final was played. You know, you you'd go into their games thinking, oh fuck, you know, I, I, if we we'll do well to get a goal here because you look at their defence and you think. How are we ever going to score against these lads? And uh, and that's kind of got to a stage where you don't even know any of their defenders. So I don't want to live. I think it's good for football, just as I you know, will sometimes bang on about how I think a good, healthy domestic Premier League needs representation from all parts of the country, because I think it's good for engagement. And I think it's good for um you know, you want you want a strong sport to be kind of represented throughout, particularly around a big population hub. So you don't you don't want nine clubs from London and then the two Liverpool, two Manchester and then whichever other clubs are kind of in the league. You, you want, you know, Yorkshire to have a couple of clubs and you want the East and the West Midlands and you want the North East, you know. And similarly with European football, I I think that we're in, we are, at, in terms of kind of, trying to assess it and get to the crux of the point really I'm trying to make is that the Premier League clubs are now so strong. They're ridiculously strong. You know, um, we, we spoke the other day about Chelsea and they, they essentially stockpile players. They've got players that they don't even need. They've got Sal Niguez as a, as a, an additional centre midfielder when they've already got one of the best midfields in the world. Their midfield is ludicrous. And Man City are not, not dissimilar. And obviously, um, uh, the other mob from Old Trafford have been hoovering up. Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't clearly good enough to um, uh, get them to beat uh, young boys of Switzerland. But, you know, fair play. They are a, they are a European powerhouse. Uh, anyone's going to struggle against young boys. Um, <laughs> but, um, but there is a danger, you know, but even, even despite that and the short, the short term kind of, uh, glee that it gave me to see them, you know, lose to a Swiss team. There's no doubt they will. There was no doubt in my mind, anyway, that despite their pathetic performance last year, in which they failed to get through a group, that was a group that had PSG and RB Leipzig in it. I don't think that they will get through their group. City will get through their group. You know, Liverpool will probably get through the group, and uh, um, uh, Chelsea are certainly going to get through their group. And you, I don't know. I just think I would prefer it if. 
I, I just don't think European club football is in a good place at the moment. I think the pandemic has, has had a, what it's done essentially is it's speeded up some trends that were probably already in place and really shone a, a quite an intense spotlight on some financial um, disparities. It's great when you get the, the odd result. And I know you, anyone could counter this argument to say, oh, yeah, but, you know, a, a team from Switzerland beat the might, mighty Manchester United. And, you know, oh, look, a team from Moldova has qualified for the Champions League for the first time and they won their first game. But I just think that I, it's, you, want, you want kind of fresh blood um, in terms of club. You don't want this, the same old status quo over here. So I'm not arguing for that. But what you do want is strength from all the kind of key elite football countries. I don't care what clubs they are, but you want um, clubs qualifying for the Champions League from Italy, Spain, France, Germany, um, as well as, of course, England. You know, it would be a real shame if um, if we lose that. And it might, I might be getting a little bit carried away to kind of raise these fears, but I, I do think that it is a legitimate fear based on the way things sort of currently look. And one other thing I'll quickly say before I stop banging on <laughs> is that we, I, I know we jokingly spoke about this conference league tonight and, and I was, you know, ribbing you a little bit about how proud you were, <laughs> Tottenham being sort of the uh, trailblazers in this. But, I mean, l- genuinely, it is a complete waste of fucking time. Like, nobody's going to take that competition seriously. And UEFA, what they've done is they just want as many clubs playing European football as possible to keep the kind of, you know everyone in the big tent and give everyone a payday but then what so that, but then in order to do that rather than kind of being inventive or maybe even looking back you know learning from the past and seeing is there anything that we could kind of revisit they just essentially rebadge a an even lower value version of the europa league and cl- allow clubs that have got come even lower down their domestic leagues to qualify and yes that's great if it allows clubs from the smaller european nations to to kind of get through and have their day in the sun when they get to play a club like Spurs, it is still, you think, well, there must be a better way of doing it. I heard, I heard a journalist the other week, and I think it's a fantastic idea, saying, why don't they just bring back the, the Cup Winners' Cup? So the Cup Winners' Cup, which was scrapped in the early 2000s, was a co- competition that had been up until then going for sort of 40 or 50 years. It was a brilliant tournament. It, it, it meant that there was a competition specifically for the cup winners, the domestic cup winners of all the European nations. Why not just do do that? And I know, of course, there'll be times when, a, you know, the cup winner will also qualify for the Champions League, but then you then give the place to the, the cup runners up. Or if they've also qualified, I don't know, a losing semi-finalists, whatever. There's always a way, a way around it. And then you could, you could buck the trend and make that a straight old school knockout competition. You could seed it and then just have, Knock, or even don't see it and just go full full FA Cup where anyone can draw anyone and you have two-legged knockouts right from the start. I think that we have this obsession that everyone has, everything has to be a kind of round-robin group where you progress through and it's kind of that tournament. And that, that is very clearly based on the financial model that you want to guarantee every participating club's um, um, at least three home games where they can fill their stadium and sell all their merchandise, etc. But I... It, you know, in my view, if you're if you're trying to be imaginative and create a a, a new competition that is going to engage and excite uh, fans, make it different. And the thing that 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 will make the Euro the Conference League difficult to um, inspire people is the fact that it is just a carbon copy of the Europa League, but kind of shitter. 
<laughs> so on that bombshell, I'm now going to go and watch the remainder of uh, Leicester City against Napoli, which I've been glancing at over my shoulder. It looks like it's been a very good game so far, and Leicester are, Leicester are winning. So, um, mm. so devastating as it is to um, um, break up this top-level chat, <laughs> it's time to go. But for another week, it's goodbye. Thank you.